0: I'd like for you to turn to the fifth chapter of the book of of Hebrews. I want to read verse 8. I want to speak tonight on uh, concerning those lessons that are learned the hard way. In Great Britain, there is this crusty old Englishman who is the editor of the Daily Telegraph, the largest newspaper in London. He's an atheist. He was an atheist. Uh, he uh, approached religion uh, with cynicism and sarcasm. And if you were to name the person that you would least likely suspect or expect to embrace the Christian faith, he would be the person you at least likely expect to become a Christian. And so when Malcolm Muggeridge became a Christian, it literally shook Great Britain to its foundations. And from and out of the printing presses began to roll hundreds of printed testimonies of people who had become a Christian as the result of Muggeridge's uh, faith, his conversion, And out of those, and from those same printing presses came some books that he himself has written. His bestseller is called, Jesus Revisited. And there is a new book out by Malcolm Muggeridge entitled, just a simple title, A 20th Century Testimony. I want to read an excerpt from that book. Contrary to what might be expected, I look back on my experiences which might have seemed at the time, especially desolating and painful, to be the most beneficial and satisfying. I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I have learned in my 75 years in the world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my existence, has been through affliction and not through happiness. If we eliminate affliction from our world, the result would not be to make life delectable, but to impoverish. It is the cross, I want you to underline this, it is the cross more than anything else that has called me inexorably to Christ. I can identify with the cross, he continues. His words were infallible and I can identify with infallible words. His works were miraculous and I can identify with miraculous works. His life was perfect and I cannot identify with perfection. His pain was deep and I can identify with that. It might affirm what the psalmist said when he said, it is a good thing for me that I had been afflicted that I might learn thy statues. It's a remarkable statement. It is a good thing that I have been afflicted. The word there is, is a word that means the best thing that has ever happened to me in life was that I was afflicted. And the second remarkable truth that statement makes is, that there are some things that we'll never learn about God except through suffering. Now, I want to read what I believe to be one of the most remarkable statements ever made about Jesus. It's chapter 5, verse 8. Although he was a son, although he was a son of God, although he was deity, undiminished, He learned obedience from the things which he suffered. There are certain things tonight that about obedience, that we learn in obedience, that we learn severely. There are certain things in life that are learned through hardship that could never be learned any other way. The best lessons And the most permanent lessons that we ever learn in life are the lessons that are often taught in the severe hardships of life. He learned obedience through suffering. Now the remarkable thing about that statement is, is the question that it automatically raises in one's mind. How can omniscience learn anything If you already know everything, how can you learn something? How can undiminished deity learn something? Well, that statement must be read in the context that goes all the way back to chapter 4, verse 14. And the context of this statement is a context concerning the priesthood of Jesus. And the theme of the book of Hebrews is the theme of the superiority of Christ. And he establishes the fact that Jesus is superior both to the law, to Moses, to angels. And he comes to chapter 5 or chapter 4 to establish the superiority of the priesthood of Jesus over an earthly priesthood. And he says that the Son of God came and lived and suffered and died, was buried and and rose from the dead, ascended to the Father to become the high priest whose priesthood is superior to any earthly priesthood. Now, what kind of a priest is this Jesus if his priesthood is superior? Well, he is a priest or he is one who has experienced those things that we experience. Now, he would have not known pain experientially if he had not come to experience pain. And because he entered in and understood the full impact of humanity, he knows, he knew what it, what it meant to feel weakness because he felt weakness. Because he experienced sorrow, he knows what it means to have sorrow. Because he experienced rejection, he knows what it feels like to be rejected. Now the Son of God would only have known these things theoretically if he had not come and experienced them. So that in fact he experienced something and that you and I will never experience for he went to the limit to experience everything that man would experience. Now, uh, Wiest in his book on Hebrews has this statement, the omniscient God knew what obedience was but he never experienced it until he became incarnate in human flesh. Before his incarnation, he, he owed obedience to no one. There was no one greater than he to whom he could have rendered obedience. But now in incarnation, the Son of God became obedient to God the Father. He learned experientially what obedience was. And, and, and the author of the book of Hebrews says that he learned experientially that obedience through the things that he suffered. Now, There are four experiences of hurt that helped Jesus to grow. I want to share those with you. If you got your Bible, let's take a look. First is in the Gospel of John chapter 8. The Gospel of John chapter 8. He learned obedience, he learned the lesson of obedience through the severity of what people said about him. Through the severity of what people said about him. Now, Jesus' enemies primarily were the Pharisees. And they were always trying to to, uh, trap him and they were critical of him about everything he said and everything he did, maybe you know somebody who is like that. There may be somebody in your own experience who is so critical of you, who has a, finds some delight in in saying something about you negatively. Maybe some close friend that's turned on you. This is what they were saying about Jesus. Verse 31, Jesus therefore was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, then truly you are my disciples. Skip to verse 33. If therefore, verse 36, if therefore the Son make you free, you shall be free indeed. Verse 40, but as it is, you are seeking to kill me. A man has told you the truth which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. You're doing the deeds of your father. Now this is what they said about him. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. You illegitimate man. What Roman soldier is your father? Here was this son of God in undiminished purity. And these men saying of him, you child of fornication, you illegitimate child, son. And, 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 and then verse 48, that is enough, but there's more. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Now, The three things that they could say about Jesus that would be the the epitome of insults and disgrace and shame, that he was an illegitimate child, an illegitimate son, a Samaritan, the hated of the Jews, and a demon. He was undiminished deity, perfect humanity and these are the accusations made about him are you learning any lessons in obedience from what people say about you what is the normal reaction when somebody says something about you that hurts the normal reaction is to retaliate is to is to, is to get even the natural reaction is to lash back jesus said Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you. There is a tremendous lesson that can be learned in obedience and faith and trust in our response to what people say about us. All right, there's a second thing. Chapter 11 of the Gospel of John. Chapter 11, and we'll look at verses, uh, we'll look at 43, 45 really. The lesson that comes through what people did to him. Now this hatred that was directed toward Jesus grew to the point of murder. As a matter of fact, in verse 53 of chapter 11, after his raising Lazarus from the dead, and so from that day on, they plan together to kill him. They plan together to kill him. Um, are there, is there anybody who is out to get you? Somebody said paranoia is not paranoia. If it's really true, they're out to get you. There may not be anybody who wants to, you know, who is out who, who, who to take your life, but there might be somebody who would delight to see you down, to see you diminished. Jesus couldn't even walk among his own. He, he lived like a wounded deer. He was literally hunted like a dog. And the whole, his whole Nation, his own people were out to get him, were out to destroy him. Thomas Brooke in 1629 wrote a book entitled mute under the smarting rod. He made this statement in that book. He said, the more thy afflictions are increased, the more thy hearts are raised heavenward. And he, and he, and he draws the illustration or the analogy of, of Noah's ark. He said, the more the floods came, the more the storms came, it just lifted that ark that contained the people of God nearer to him. Hudson Taylor said, "It matters not how great the pressure is; it's where the pressure lies. Does it come between me and God, or does it just press me closer to Him?" Let's just suppose this morning that the the, the scene and that this is the pressure. Where does it come? Does it come between you and God, or does it just press you nearer to Him? In the case of Jesus, he learned obedience through the things that people did to him and that pressure that was applied to his life just pressed him closer to the Father so that in every experience that was hurtful just drove him closer to God. There was was a third area where he learned obedience. It was when God was silent Mark 15, chapter 15. Would you turn to that? The 15th chapter of the gospel of Mark and it's verse 34. And the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, Why hast thou forsaken me? Now it's bad enough that these people were saying these things about him. And it's bad enough that people were doing these things to him. But God was silent. There is no suffering like the suffering that comes with the silence of God. Somebody asked me the other day, said, Do you ever come to a time in your life, into a dry pit time in your life where it doesn't seem like your prayers get heard? I wish I could say I never have to, I've never been there, but I, I've been there many times. There is no suffering like the suffering of the silence of God. Job knew that pain if God would just answer some of his questions, if God would just give him a reason why he was suffering, if God would just intervene and answer the criticism of his friends, but even though he prayed by night and by day and even though he asked that he could die, God remained silent. It was the problem that plagued John the Baptist in prison. And so he sent an emissary to Jesus, not because he was an outdoorsman and was unhappy because he was in prison, but because he couldn't understand the silence of the Lord. If he really is the Messiah, why doesn't he stand on some mountaintop and shout it? If, if, he, if he really is the Son of God, why doesn't he announce that so that we can, we, can, we can claim it for ourselves? But Jesus said nothing. And in that prison, John the Baptist struggled with the suffering of the silence of God. Or Are you at a period in your life where prayers are not heard or not answered? I want to believe that the Bible is true. I want to believe what I preach, but I can't sense that. I can't feel that. And so I pray and there seems to be just words that drift out into nowhere. Have you ever been there? And that's the time when you really grow. That's the time when you really grow. Sometimes people will come uh, in, in, in that distress that their prayer life is nothing and is, vain, is empty and meaningless and fruitless and they'll want to know what's wrong with me And I want to encourage them listen, if you really are serious about growing, if you really are serious about learning the lessons that come in life, and you just keep on, you just remain in the the attitude of faith and prayer, when God is silent, you'll grow more then than in any other time. There's one other area where he learned obedience it was when wrong reached its fulfillment. Luke 23, 33. If you want to turn to that. Luke 23, 33. Now when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. Now, it's one thing for somebody to say something bad about you. It's another thing when somebody attempts to uh, discredit you. It's another thing to come through those periods in life where God is silent. But what are you going to do when wrong reaches its ultimate fulfillment? what happens to a man a husband when one day he suddenly discovers that his wife has been unfaithful what happens to a to a to a to a christian when one day he discovers that he's been betrayed On Friday, on Friday in our noon luncheon, we're studying in First Peter. There's a marvelous example in First Peter of that suffering that people go through that's totally uh, unjustified. It, there's the, the, the persecution that, that is the persecution of right by wrong. It's when wrong is, reaches its fulfillment. What do you do in those situations? Well, naturally, what we want to do is to keep it from happening or to escape it. And Jesus learned obedience through the suffering that came when wrong reached the apex for this is the bottom line. This is the bottom line to it all. I'll serve God for God Himself. And if I am, if I am committed to that, to serving God for God Himself, I can serve Him when others are not serving, when others are against me, and I can serve Him when He is silent, and I can serve Him when wrong is done to me in the experiences of life. When I've gotten a bum wrapped and have been dealt a bad hand, if I'm just going to serve God for God Himself. And that was the ultimate, that was the ultimate commitment that Job made for, for that Job made for this was his state. Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. I was talking to a member of this church not long ago who, whose family has gone through a great deal of tragedy. She told me about her mother who had experienced just one hardship after another and news came one day to her mother of some, no, another tragedy. And she said, my mother cried out, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Now, what should be our response? What should be our response to these, these, this, these severe... Now watch this. You do this by faith and you do it as an act of the will. But but look, if it was good for Jesus, it's good for us. And if He could grow in the experience through the things that He suffered, so can we. So if that's the truth, and I'm really serious about growing and developing in the Christian faith, then I need to thank God when the suffering comes. And I can do what James did in the second place. I can count it a joy when trials come. Because trials work patience. And the patience works the perfection that makes me like his son. What are you learning? That's a severe lesson. For what you learn in the severe lesson will be the best lesson you'll learn in life. Let's pray together. Father, help us to be willing to grow like Jesus grew. And Father, we have a, we have a tendency to want to grow the easy way. We'd like for somebody just to zap us, and all of a sudden we're growing up, the Christian faith. God, help us to believe and to accept the fact that the greatest growth takes place in the severe places of life. And God, I pray you will grant us the conviction and the grace and the courage to say, Lord, I want, to, I want to grow whatever it takes. I want to be like Jesus because I pray in his name and for his sake. We have three invitations that we'll offer as we offer every, not every service. One invitation would be that you might want to come and, and, and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. To accept him as your Lord. Repent of your sin trust him second invitation would be to come and place your life in the church by transfer of your membership your life to us here or to come to say I just want to get closer to the Lord I've not been living for him like I should these are the invitations we invite you to come while we stand to sing